The Small Business Rundown is the official podcast of the National Federation of Independent Business, the member-driven voice of small business. NFIB and our members advocate to keep America's small businesses strong and independent in Washington, D.C., all 50 states, and the nation's courts. Welcome to the Small Business Rundown, your inside source for small business news and analysis in Washington, D.C. and the state capitals. I'm Adam Temple, NFIB's Senior Vice President of Advocacy, and this week I'm joined by Beth Melito, Executive Director of the NFIB Small Business Legal Center. Beth will go over the Fair Labor Standards Act and spotlight a handful of things small business owners need to know to stay in compliance. The Small Business Legal Center also offers a short and printable wage and hour guide on this topic. A link to that guide will be available in today's episode description. Beth, thanks for being here. I'm glad you could join us again. Thank you, Adam, for the invitation. I'm looking forward to our discussion and talking about some of NFIB's resources that can hopefully help small business navigate this very challenging area of employment law. So let's start with what it is, the Fair Labor Standards Act. How does it affect small businesses and and, and what is it exactly? The Fair Labor Standards Act is a major federal employment law that was enacted in 1938 as part of the New Deal. Um, It covers minimum wage, overtime, hours worked, child labor, record keeping on employee time and pay. But one thing, Adam, I always remind employers is that the FLSA, the federal wage and hour law, sets the minimum wage and hour protections for employees in the United States. States can, and as you know, more than a majority have, pass laws that provide additional protections and benefits to employees. For instance, I think now 30 states and the District of Columbia have a minimum wage that is higher than the federal minimum wage Hmm. law. So keep in mind as we're talking here today that you always need to make sure that you are in compliance with both the federal FLSA and those state and local laws that might also impact wage and hour. Right, right. That's crucial. And and can you explain who's typically subject to FLSA and, and who isn't? So the goal of the FLSA is to make sure employees are treated fairly when it comes to wage and hour issues. What this means is that courts and the U.S. Department of Labor, and that's the federal agency that is charged with enforcing the FLSA, apply the FLSA as broadly as possible. So employers need to keep that in mind. While some exceptions might come in play, such as the overtime exception for certain executive employees, the vast majority of employees in the United States are covered by the Fair Labor Standards Act. And there's two ways in which a business might be subject to the FLSA. The first is a business that has 500000 or more in gross annual revenues. They are covered by the FLSA. Um, and there's a few exceptions for small farms, um, even if they have a gross. But keep that in mind, that $500,000. Um, however, even if your business grosses less than 500000 annually, you may still be covered by the FLSA if your employees are involved in any form of interstate commerce. And going back to my point about broad application of the FLSA, interstate commerce is interpreted very broadly by the courts and by the Department of Labor. So that could include an employee who uses a phone, who uses email, credit card machines, um, drives or flies to another state. Those would all be employees who would be covered by the FLSA. Bottom line, most employers in the U.S. are covered by the FLSA. Okay. And a lot of small businesses utilize um, independent contractors 
Is there a, a difference in compliance between employees and independent contractors? And that's a great question, Adam, because the FLSA only covers employees. So making the differentiation um, with workers who are independent contractors is, in fact, very important. Um, under the current Department of Labor test, a business should look at two core factors to determine whether a worker is an employee or an independent contractor. They would look at control over the work and the opportunity for profit or loss to determine worker status. Now, the Biden administration just recently proposed a rule that would make it more difficult for employers to classify workers as independent contractors rather than employees. Um, and this would use a totality of the circumstances analysis. Um, so stay tuned. We might see a new test for independent contractors. So but right now, I'm sorry. No, it's a change. It's an evolving thing. It's an it's evolving not, no. thing, yes. And again, going back to my point at the beginning of our discussion here, state laws can be very different. So again, employers, unfortunately, need to look at the Department of Labor test, and they may also need to look at state laws, too. Okay. And you talked a little bit about, or a lot of bit about minimum wage. What about tipping? How does that, is, is that addressed by this? And that's a great question, because it's fraught with danger if an employer gets it wrong. If an employee's tips combined with the employer's direct wages of at least $2.13 an hour do not equal the federal minimum wage, which is $7.25, the employer needs to make up the difference. This means employers can claim what is referred to as a tip credit of up to $5.12 against the federal minimum wage. Um, keep in mind, though, the employer needs to provide notice to the employees, and that list of notice requirements is set forth in NFIB's Guide to Wage and Hour. So check that out. If you have tipped employees, take a look at our guide there because we have a lot more information provided there. Okay. And again, we'll link to that guide in our show notes for those that are interested in downloading that. Can you address overtime pay? Are there things small business owners need to know with regards to FLSA and overtime pay? So whether or not a business owner needs to adhere to the overtime rules for certain employees depends on what is referred to as the classification of the employee. Are they exempt or non-exempt? If the employee is non-exempt, then they are entitled to the federal minimum wage overtime pay, which is one and a half times the employee's regular rate for all hours worked over 40 hours in a work week, and it's by work week, seven days there. Um, one question we get a lot here at NFIB is, can I offer comp time in lieu of overtime? And the answer is no. So, Can you that, explain a little bit about what comp time yes. means? So sometimes an employer will say, you know, Adam worked 45 hours. Can I pay him his regular rate of say, $10 an hour for those 40 hours. And then for those other additional five hours over 40, can we give him comp time or time off in lieu of overtime? And the answer is no. You okay. cannot do that. Even if Adam wants comp time or additional vacation time instead of overtime, you cannot essentially agree to break federal law. So Adam gets overtime for those additional five hours. Okay. Thank you. Um, one significant aspect of the overtime pay guidelines is which workers are exempt from the requirements, the so-called white-collar exemption, if you will. Um, can you speak to that a little bit more? Yes, because that's a tricky area because there's actually three parts, three criteria that employers need to meet to classify a worker as an exempt employee. So first, the employee must be paid on a salary basis. What does that mean? Well, they must receive a fixed amount of money 
every paycheck, regardless of how much they work. So if you are an exempt employee, a salaried employee, even if you only work, say, six hours a day for that work week, you still get the same salary. That's the salary basis. The second criteria or test is it must be a salary level. And the current salary level for exempt employees is 455 per week as a minimum or $23,660 per year. So must have that salary basis and the salary level. The third and final criteria for the exempt um, classification is they must have exempt level duties. And generally this means things like they supervise other employees, they are engaged in legitimate executive, administrative, or professional um, duties, Um, they use discretion, and make management decisions. So again, you need to make sure if you have an employee who is classified as exempt, they're meeting all three of those tests, the salary basis, the salary level, and they have exempt duties. Okay, thanks. Again, we're joined by Beth Melito from the NFIB Small Business Legal Center today um, talking about the Fair Labor Standards Act. Um, A couple more questions for you, Beth. The child labor guidelines, um, can you explain what the guidelines are You bet. And this was a big part of the passage of that law back in 1938 because of child labor that was taking place during that time. So the FLSA generally prohibits the employment of minors in non-agricultural occupations under the age of 14. Um, The FLSA also restricts the hours and types of work that can be performed by minors who are under 16. And there are even some restrictions on minors between the ages of 17 and 18, too. So, again, those are set forth in more detail, those child labor rules, in the NFIB Wage and Hour Guide. Okay. Um, A lot of uh, small business owners spend a good deal of time just working, keeping track of records and paperwork and that sort of thing. Uh, What are the FLSA's guidelines with regards to record keeping and, and posting notices? Err on the side of too much, I would say. So you want to keep those records. In fact, the U.S. law requires employers to keep wage and hour records for at least three years. So keep that in mind there. Records need to be shown that compute the pay, the time cards, even the work and time schedules should be kept, um, particularly for non-exempt employees. So for hourly employees, again, a list is available in the NFIB Wage and Hour Guide. You can also find those on the DOL website too. Um, The posting is very important. Employers must display an official DOL FLSA poster that outlines the provisions of the law there. It's available at no cost from the U.S. Department of Labor. And NFIB members can get a free poster, an all-in-one federal poster. So if you are an NFIB member and you have not received that all-in-one federal labor poster, reach out to us um, at 800-NFIB-NOW. Okay. It's a helpful resource. Um, And a lot of helpful information on the the darker side of all this. Can you explain some of the penalties that uh, small business owners face for noncompliance with FLSA? The U.S. Department of Labor takes employment law enforcement, particularly with regards to wage and hour violations and child labor, very seriously. So regulations in this area um, with penalties and even criminal enforcement are pretty stiff. Um, And I'm reading here from the U.S. Department of Labor's website here. Employers who willfully or repeatedly violate the minimum wage or overtime pay requirements are subject to a civil monetary penalty 
um, violators may also face criminal prosecution um, for repeated infractions there. So again, you don't want to fall on the wrong side of the law. Or as I say, if you find out you have made a mistake, which does happen, this is a tricky area, get into compliance. Reach out to an attorney, get help, and get into compliance. Mm -hmm. Wage and hour laws are tricky, and you've explained the penalties for noncompliance can be steep. So hopefully your expertise will save some of our listeners time and much-needed energy. Um, Before we wrap up, is there anything else you'd like to add that you think the folks listening should be aware on this topic? Um, I would say don't ignore an employee complaint about a wage and hour issue. Um, Investigate it. Don't be afraid to seek legal help um, and get into compliance. As I said, the FLSA law is complicated and there's no shame in making a mistake. Um, You just want to fix it then. Um, And remember, you can reach out directly to the NFIB Small Business Legal Center with questions. While we cannot provide direct legal advice or representation, we can often point small business owners in the right direction. So we've got some great resources to help business owners. Thank you, Beth. It's a crucial topic. It's uh, important. We really appreciate you being here to, to, to walk through this with us. And now I want to thank you, the listeners, for joining us on today's Small Business Rundown. We'll be back every two weeks with small business news and analysis from Washington, D.C. and the nation's state capitals so that you, whether you're a business owner or a supporter of one, can continue to blaze a trail. The Small Business Rundown is brought to you by NFIB the voice of small business. You can find us at NFIB.com and on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn.